0: Hello, I'm Maeve Doyle, and you're listening to a Private View, the podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Wyatt Mills, an LA-based artist whose lusciously hued paintings splice form and abstract life in it with this crazy energy that comes from him, from his childhood. Here's Wyatt Mills. Have a listen. Wyatt Mills, hello, and thank you for doing this morning thing, which I know you don't, it's not your natural <laughs> state. Uh, tell me about who you are, and what you do, and the moment you think of as your starting point as, as an, an artist, artist. Yeah.
1: Um. Well, I was born in New York and raised in L.A., and I think I started, I was always a weirdo. Um, growing up, I was like My room was an upside-down cardboard box, and I would just scribble. Um, I I had a little typewriter that I would always write out my dreams in, and then I figured out I could start illustrating them. So I made all these dream books, probably around, like, second grade. And then that kind of led to just more picture books, and I would just kind of create, like, monster versions of like the rose bowl parade that I would watch and like each float would have like its own kind of a uh, monster characteristic and what humans they eat and all kinds of like they live off root beer and uh, eat dreams and kind of things like that so I would just kind of had a a scary imagination and I kind of found a way to channel that into, into art as I grew up and then when I was around um 13 a girl i like joined an art class and i followed her in and that was the rest was history
0: were your parents artists
1: um my dad was an actor he was more like in plays so i think i got the creative gene from him and my mom was a, a nurse
0: but they didn't think you were a weirdo at all did they
1: well, they did. I would like, cry <laughs> for my alien, I would cry for my alien parents and like, I didn't think they were my parents. And they were like, they got, they learned to live with it though. I'd come home with friends and be like, tell them I'm my, I'm an alien. they like that. You guys aren't my real parents. And they'd say, yes, you're an alien. And you know, they, <laughs> they definitely were worried for a while. But once they started to realize, like, I can make a career out of it, uh, they relaxed. How did they realize that? um well straight out of college i kind of i mean looking back at any decision i've made along the way it seems completely insane but it was always kind of just what i thought was the only path i could take and i think once i started like having shows even when i was still in college i had a couple shows and i was selling pieces and able to combine with that and like some bartending gigs i was able to get by and they they were starting to realize that and i mean it was definitely a big change from
0: you didn't have a plan b no plan b in place. no
1: yeah and i would do more you know commissions and mural work in the beginning and until i could uh afford to just do my own thing
0: so you were working with the human figure and representational work from an early age Painting people, painting people you knew.
1: I would paint people I knew. I would paint weird screenshots from like old 80s horror movies and just uh, I was really into like capturing like strange energies, I guess. And I, I don't know if I'd call myself a figurative painter, even though I'm very influenced by a lot of figurative painters. But I think... I like the that there's like endless possibilities of painting and what type of information and experiences you can throw in there. And I like to think of my practice as more of just kind of exploring the language and structure and act of painting itself. And uh, the human form lends itself to endless content.
0: Who are the figurative painters that you are influenced by?
1: Um, I, I was really into... Oh, I, I am really into the... German, like post-war and the new objectivity movement and uh, kind of like the raw elements that that they would combine kind of figuration and abstraction. So like Otto Dix, George Burroughs and um, like Daniel Richter, Neil Rauch, um, especially, I mean, of course, Francis Bacon and Jenny Saville and Marlene Dumas. Um, but I, I like to look at all of art history and just kind of like chew it up and spit it out in my own way.
0: It looks like you do. It seems that there's thick impasto painting and then illustration and then there's sort of like depth perception and, and optics.
1: Yeah, the way I work is like very not like point A to point B. Uh, I'll have a plan and then it goes and a completely different direction I kind of like to follow whatever accidents take place that lead to something better that I couldn't have previously like sketched out or thought of so a lot of my paintings have layers and layers of paintings that no one will ever see under there so that there's a lot of textures of Mm -hmm. those I like to leave windows of the past layers sometimes so people can kind of see like whoa, something was going on under there too. But uh, also, the it's a double-edged sword because sometimes I'll look at a picture of a painting I completely destroyed and and think it was actually quite good. Um, in, in hindsight, but I think it's the it's just the constant activity and not being afraid to go over the previous layer, just or co- like hold anything valuable, because then I'm able to to reach a more um, unpredictable result.
0: It ties back to a lot of the painters that you said influenced you. They were quite fearless and daring, and some of them, the ones who are still alive, are quite fearless and daring and,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and not precious.
1: Yeah, I think intuition is, is the most important, and just being experimental and kind of let the process guide you.
0: Uh, there's a question on the list of questions that I wanted to ask you, but I, I think the way your practice involved and the way your life evolved are simultaneous. In, in your case, it's the same thing. You kind of are your practice. Would you agree with that?
1: Oh yeah. I think you'll definitely just, uh, any painter will just like die wishing they could make the best painting and that uh, it always changes your, your threshold of whatever that is. Um, but it's, it's a constant changing thing. And the more information we like sponge up and the more paintings we see, the more things we want to try.
0: So much has been going on over the past year and of the past decade and really since the new millennium, which we're 21 years into at the moment. If I were to say to you what cultural experience changed how you see the world and why, what comes to mind?
1: I mean, I can't get around like 2020 was just the the most life altering year uh, I've experienced. So I'm still kind of resonating of like how that even fits into the, into the practice. And I think subconsciously it, it comes through and a lot of my work is kind of relates to overstimulation of information and how we kind of like as primal beings, like access all of it and our like, un- completely overwhelmed by it. Um, so I think I don't. I don't like to be too illustrative and like hyper relevant um, with my paintings. But I think just the the noise and the chaos is definitely um, translated. Started to translate through.
0: Did you think for a minute what that pandemic would have been like if we didn't have computers and phone like cell mobile phones and technology? Did it was it something you I thought mean
1: about? For, for me I'm kind of a uh, in my cave like hamster wheel painting away. I live in in my <laughs> studio so I love I'm that. just like I was finally like oh my god there's no parties I have to go to. There's no event and I can really just kind of hunker down and, and do all this work that I've been meaning to do.
0: Is there a particular ritual you go through in the studio to, to get into the mood to start work?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I think it's, I have like a bag of tricks to kind of, <laughs> I have to really fool myself into starting because I can stare at them all day. And I think what I'll usually do is uh, start messing it up and then I have to fix it. And then before I know it, um, I'm in it. Because I think starting, the activity of starting the snowball effect is is the most difficult, but once you're a few hours in, like you can't be torn away.
0: Do you create a kind of crisis?
1: Yeah, I'll throw something at it or I'll go over a part that I'm, I like and then I have to like, I, something that I know I'll be feverishly trying to erase and fix and then.
0: So would it be wrong for me to say you like drama?
1: I definitely like drama in the paintings. Yeah. Um, I, I try to put all all of it in there.
0: <laughs> no, it's the Francis Bacon thing. I mean, he loved drama, mm-hmm. but had this studio discipline that was inflexible. There was the hours he painted. And then outside of that, it didn't matter what chaos ensued.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I don't get enough done in the studio, like my life can't really function. It's just, it's where I I get my self worth, and I get my thoughts out. And if I haven't had that time, then it's like I can't just go out and talk to people and feel good about myself.
0: Uh, What's the reason for art?
1: I think I really love to see like the evidence, almost like a crime scene of like the footprints of a artist that struggled and scraped away and carved out their image, and they kind of leave this ball of energy trapped in a web in the painting that the viewer can kind of feel and anything that that has that i think is good art
0: one of the things i ask in in the show that i do is is you know i go over the roles of critics and writers and galleries and auction houses what's the role of the curator because in this case josh mcdonald curated the show so what Mm -hmm. about this curation made you want to be part of this show
1: yeah, meeting Josh, he had a, a very excited energy about putting this group show together. And once he showed me some of the other artists, I was I could definitely see um, a likeness in uh, like kind of our all of our journeys in a in a similar place. And I think just the the kind of yeah, I guess it's. Um, I see a lot of figuration and abstraction, uh, blocked together, which kind of leads to this, uh, uh unfamiliar, like when the brain can't put, a, and define something immediately, it really leaves it to the unconscious to put it together. And I think there's a lot of that in the show, which I, I think is exciting for viewers.
0: I thought that when I saw it as well and I I liked what he put together and I felt it was a narrative coming through that I hadn't seen before uh, since something like Norman Rosenthal's German show mm-hmm. with the new spirit of German painting. and yeah. and I wonder sometimes is that just because we've been in isolation or am I really seeing something <laughs> that that's creating an amazing narrative here about the relationship between the human body and this isolation and uh, technology and what what it what it actually means to live your life. And all you right. feel and all you do through a body that's slowly being affected by, well, a lot of technological yeah, things and pandemics and everything. Go on.
1: I think it definitely is these pieces were all created during quarantine, I think, for this show. So it's almost like a unboxing of what, what different struggles everyone kind of worked on. And it's kind of like a... a the reveal of like what we were all stuck in our our paint caves doing.
0: Yeah, I hope it's the first of many um, shows curated by Josh that you're part of, and that this actually creates a movement for for a type of figuration we haven't seen before in this way. Uh, thank you for being here. Uh, best of luck with everything. I'm I'm very excited about it, even from here, and I'll speak to you again soon. I hope. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for having me That's and yeah, let's let's do this again.
0: Bye Wyatt. Thank you. You've been listening to a private view. This is Maeve Doyle. If you like the show, please subscribe and thank you for listening. The music for this podcast was produced by Korsh and Homie.